0: Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Sam Elkin is a writer, podcaster and community lawyer living in Melbourne's West. In 2018, Sam set up Victoria's first LGBTIQ legal service at Thorn Harbour Health, and recently they launched a specialist trans and gender diverse legal service in partnership with Transgender Victoria. Sam is also one half of Joy radio show Transgender Warriors, which you can download wherever you get your podcasts. Sam performed this story in Melbourne. I moved up to Sydney a few years ago for love. My partner at the time was a junior doctor who spent extremely long hours at the hospital. I didn't really know anybody up there and so I spent a lot of time walking my dog Tibby, listening to podcasts along the Glebe Ford shore, which was actually a wonderful place to be lonely. I eventually landed a job at a rundown community legal centre giving tenancy advice to renters. I remember walking into our Chatswood office for the first time to meet my tiny new team. There was David, the recently married North Shore guy in his shiny suit and boat shoes. And it was there that I met Sowson, who was a young woman from Arncliffe who wore the hijab. David and Sowson seemed a nice enough crew but I was left with the possibly problematic feeling that I hadn't exactly fallen in with a new crowd who were likely to come drinking with me late on a Friday night at a queer bar on the weekend. <laughs> and that this job was therefore going to do absolutely nothing to assist me in cracking into the incredibly insular queer scene of Sydney. Sorry to anybody who's from Sydney, but you are. <laughs> Advocating for tenants losing their homes was and is an emotionally devastating job. Southen, David and I were the only tenancy lawyers for the entire Northern Sydney region. And we'd spend our days begging, bullying and badgering real estate agents, trying to get people one last chance to hang on to their homes, at least until the next time they ran out of money. There was never anywhere really to send clients if they lost their homes, except for a couple of nights maybe. And it was devastating to know that people would either be headed out onto the streets or back in with a violent ex-partner if I lost their case. My feelings of desperation were made worse by being involved in the campaign to save public housing in the inner suburb of Millers Point and the surrounds, which we could see we were going to lose and ultimately did. But the thing that really killed me most about the job was the commute. I timidly wound my way from the inner west, Sydney, over the Sydney Harbour Bridge, over to Chatswood, and back every day through incredibly gridlocked Sydney traffic. Sowson, however, was not so timid. Sowson's dad had been an inner Sydney taxi driver for over 30 years, and Sowson took her driving cues from him, expertly zipping from lane to lane yelling at anyone who she felt was going too slow in her desperate race to find the last free parking spot in Chatswood so that she didn't have to pay for parking at Chatswood Chase. <laughs> After hearing my complaints and witnessing my terrible driving one morning, she started to offer me a ride to work. Pretty soon I was getting a lift with her to and from work every single day. I'd stand outside the Broadway shopping centre at 8.10am promptly <laughs> every morning with two coffees in hand and I'd leap into her shiny new Mazda, desperate to not keep her waiting. Our daily commutes were where we really really got to know each other. Sawsan would play me One Direction and tell me <laughs> all about her Shia Muslim family who were from a village in the south of Lebanon. I struggled to open up to Sauson about my life in the new city of Sydney and how lonely I really was there. I've always struggled to share the most intimate parts of my life with other people, even the ones that I really very much care about, like Sauson. Instead, I'd share stories through music. I'd share my sad indie playlists, which would ultimately end up with me sharing my ...entire lesbian breakup story collection... Um, <laughs> ...over our long rides across the bridge. Salson taught me that many musical instruments are considered haram or forbidden in Islam... ...which led us on a very interesting Religions of the World auditory investigative tour... ...where we'd listen to the acapella devotional singing of Islamic singers, rasta music right through to the pagan chants of the ancient Druids, basically just to kill time upon our long and frustrating commute. At the time that I met Southson, I really only knew two things about Lebanon. I knew that they had a flag with a cute cedar tree on it (laughs) and I also knew that they made a wicked tabouli. Despite growing up in a school full of new migrants from around the world, history lessons didn't teach us why any of us had actually come here to this country at all. I didn't know that there'd been a deadly civil war in Lebanon in which thousands were killed and hundreds of thousands displaced, leading many to relocate to Sydney. I knew even less about the different strands of Islam and the tensions between the two. For instance, Sauson taught me that Sunni families had settled in Lakemba, where Shia families like hers live 10 kilometres away in Arncliffe. Who knew? I was amazed to hear that half of her entire village had chain-migrated to Arncliffe, partially reforming the village in Western Sydney. Everyone from the original village and the reformed village of Arncliffe were all joined by a Facebook page simply known as The Village, where proud parents posted pictures of their gra- children's graduations and wedding parties, where intergenerational beefs and grudges between families and neighbours were able to be aired in a whole new format, <laughs> namely by failing to like certain posts, <laughs> which would then be gossiped about in endless Facebook Messenger subchats. <laughs> I myself was not raised with religion. My Yorkshire granny had always loudly hated the Catholic Church and would tell anybody that would listen that she'd been beaten mercilessly by the nuns at her school. Granddad refused the Catholic priest who tried to perform last rites on him on his deathbed. His last words were reportedly, only oblivion awaits me. (laughs) I escaped my own family, and moved to the queer bubble of Melbourne just about as soon as I could, where we were more likely to seriously discuss the healing powers of crystals than the historic divisions within organized religion. Sir <laughs> so generously answered many of my questions. In true lawyer style, she even made me a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> about the historical divisions within the Islamic faith, complete with both flow and pie charts. I was truly touched when Sowson started bringing me home-cooked meals to work every day, including her delicious garlicky fool. It had been an extremely long time since anyone had cooked me a meal and it meant a great deal to me, though of course I never said that. I'm embarrassed to say that in the early days of our friendship, I did feel vaguely anxious that Sowson's religion would mean that she would never truly accept me. Amusingly, it was One Direction who began to alleviate my fears. (laughs) Salson was particularly obsessed with an internet rumour that Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson were secretly secretly in a gay relationship, (laughs) which was known globally as Larry Stylinson (laughs) and later just Larry. My conversations with Southson about the whole Larry thing showed me that she was not in the least bit homophobic and in fact was desperate actively for her idols to be gay. (laughs) We'd been working together for over a year when the Lindt Café siege happened. Southson's first remark was, ''Fuck, fuck, please don't let this guy be a Muslim.'' The day after the siege, we got into the lift to go into work and an entirely average-looking middle-aged man from level six whispered audibly, terrorist. Public violence was something that Southson and I had in common. One day we were on our way to work, Southson having just found the last parking spot on the street, which we were both very excited about. (laughs) A man drove past in his car and yelled out the window, you fucking lesbian shit. It took us a while to realise that this was in fact a homophobic slur directed at me and not an Islamophobic slur directed at Sausen. It was a real throwback moment (laughs) and it really, really made us laugh in what was otherwise a very dark time. Now, I grew up in Perth in the 1990s, so I was very used to being called homophobic names. But the experience of seeing Southend subjected to this stuff was really quite different. Southend's entire community was being called into question and it was people who looked just like me who were doing the questioning. I was even more shocked when Southend came to work for the first time without her headscarf on, which she'd worn since she was 16 years old. She explained to me that her dad had tearfully asked her to remove it because he was really scared that somebody might hurt her. I really didn't know what to say. The urgent questions that I had were now for people that looked like me and why they would do this to my friend. My friendship with Southend didn't provide me with my longed-for wingman ready for nights out at the bearded tit ...and I eventually did pack up to return to the insular queer bubble of Melbourne... ...which I know so well. But sharing a sense that mainstream Australia didn't welcome us... ...was one of the things that ultimately brought Southen and I together. I've really never been able to tell Southen explicitly... ...but my friendship with her is one of my most cherished... ...which is why I wanted to tell this story. On a recent trip to Sydney... Sowson made me fall on the emotion filled morning after I decided to transition and affirm my gender. I didn't tell her that information, but when I did, she was one of the few people whose thoughtfulness and absolute unconditional acceptance of me brought me to tears. Thank you, Sowson.. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and follow Queer Stories on Facebook for updates. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.